story. Yes. What's the biggest way that your life has changed in the last year? Hmm. Two things. No, no, three things. First, we moved here. Second, COVID. Three, now you have a boyfriend. How do you feel about my boyfriend? Good. He's nice. He's t- um. He do a lot of jokes, and even though he's a bit, he's a bit strict or tough, he's still really, he's still really nice. Even now, I'm not sure why I did it. I'd say it wasn't like me, but that would only be half true. I'd forgotten what I was like, or perhaps I never knew. And by the time we got here, I was becoming something else altogether. That is often a function of relocating, of looking for new cities in which to settle, new soil to turn and plant roots. When you leave who and where you've been, you are hoping for a home, a place to thrive and surprise yourself, a space to make wide, open, and safe enough to mitigate the bigger risks you need to take. I owe you an explanation, for you were the only witness You were here not just to see what happened, but to be exposed to it. And it was an unexpected exposure, one for which I am solely responsible. Adult decisions should be durable enough to withstand the inquisition of a child. And more mothers should hold themselves accountable to their children, not only when those children are old enough to articulate the impact of our parenting, but also in the moment where help and potential harm may be two sides of the same coin. Because a child does not wait to feel the weight of their mother's decisions, they should not have to wait to hear why those choices were made. I know well that you are a child who clings to narratives, who turns them on her tongue and tosses them out like skittering stones on a river. So I have already told you some version of this, a version appropriate for 11-year-old ears. But there is always more to tell. Always more it may help an older version of you to hear. I did not move with the intention of meeting a man. It is not as if I'd heard fables of fine black princes growing in North Carolina alongside their crops of sweet potatoes and collards. I have learned since arrival that there is some truth to this though that is not part of this story. We came here for the reasons I told you, to be at once alone and together, to stop sharing a spare bedroom with my mother in her mother's apartment, to sleep in ways that weren't head to foot in a twin bed flush with the wall. We'd been living that way nearly all your life, and for just as long, I've been vowing to change it. There's another reason why I want to sleep in your room besides I like love you in your in your room. It's also a bit scary in my room when it's dark. Really? Mm, used to be. It doesn't really feel scary now. We moved only when I was sure I could afford to. When the work I procured wasn't part-time or contractual. When the pay would arrive on a reliable monthly schedule. When the salary was high enough for us to secure a home. The convergence of those qualifications just happened to fall at the end of February, 2020, when I found out I would be hired for a full-time job five hours south of Baltimore. We moved to Durham in March, as our lives were closing in, 
and a hush fell over all inessential movement in the outside world. In March, all we had were our beds and our Wi-Fi, a box of books and toys, our hangerless, dresserless clothes. A masked trip to Target yielded dishes, sets of glasses and silverware, our washcloths and towels. Slowly, over our first lockdown months, we populated our rooms with creature comforts, with couches and pillows, a fire TV. I finally unpacked the appliances Nana had gifted us. They'd been sitting in our trunk, a toaster, a can opener, a hand mixer. We ordered our groceries and ate way too much takeout. In the absence of in-person hours at school and work, bedtime became an abstraction. And screen time, which I'd never been keen to restrict, was without regulation or boundary. The limit did not exist. And as for the separate bedrooms I promised you, where I would finally be able to tuck you in, dim the lights, and duck apart, you were loath to sleep in yours, much preferring the familiar cozy crowding you got sleeping right next to me. In those early months, your twin bed went unused, and only a sliver of my queen was imprinted with our sleepy weight. When we came here, I did not know how to tell you no. Did not know how to get you to hear it. Did not have time between acclimating to a new workplace I'd never seen after hire and trying to keep you occupied in a time where you were one of few children enrolled in no school at all having left third grade in Baltimore, just as school in Durham shut down. I dreamt of the space our own place would afford us, the sprawling stretch of several rooms rather than half of just one. But in this 1,145 square foot apartment, we were never apart. And the structure I hoped to provide you here seemed nearly as distant as it was back at Nana's. I suppose this provides some explanation. When a long-held dream comes true, you do not always know how to just rest in it. You do not always trust that you belong to it. You believe you'll wake up to find it disintegrated. No pinch in the world is powerful enough to dispel that worry, especially as daily life within that dream feels warped and unwelcome in practice. Living alone with you, being your only mother, after nine years spent living in a three-matriarch household, it did not feel as liberating as I'd hoped it would. Maybe I thought it needed more. Mediation, distraction, a balance. That, I think, may be why I sought the man. I listened to this very well-produced uh, radio show you know, this little sexy, golden-skinned, beautiful, statuesque, full-lipped, beautiful-eyed woman produced and uh, impressed me. So, I'm going to see her later, which makes my day a great one to be. How's your day going?
and how do you feel the show? I met him in May via Tinder, a dating app I hope will have evolved by the time you're old enough to use one. I was drawn to the ease of his smile. In his photo, he was sitting in the sun, on a stoop outdoors, dressed in blue plaid and light jeans, and his smile just looked like he'd earned it, that he'd fought through something to make it that bright, that he'd learned to laugh just because it felt good to, after years of doing so to keep from crying. I know that it's hard to believe that a single photo on a dating profile could convey so much about someone we'd never met. But many months later, as many a minor challenge arose, I drew on the promise of that picture. And more often than not, as tension subsided, he'd smile and that promise was kept. It's everything about you. You are so grounded to, you know, almost... <laughs> almost insecure but not insecure you're secure in who you are but it's as if no one's ever really paid attention to who you are and I see you I see you I see the huge brain the you know the, you know, different, you know, outlooks on different things from relationships to the state of the world to, you know, all the way down to how you parent story. It's you are such an amazing woman. You really are. And as we talked about earlier tonight, if you could see... After several weeks of texting, both words and voice recordings, along with a few awkward video dates, one in particular spent watching a rom-com in tandem while stealing glances at one another as the on-screen romance unfolded. We met him in person at the end of May. I drove us just a mile to a wine store parking lot. He pulled up in his black Chrysler 300 and smiled his tender profile smile before masking up and opening his door. He reached into the back seat for two bouquets and you leaned forward in the passenger seat to get a better look at him. Though I tried to keep cool, I questioned the wisdom of the entire exchange. Should you be meeting a potential suitor at the same time I was? Was he trustworthy enough to even be near us? He was the first person we met since moving to the city. Was he safe, sanitized, unexposed? It would be several months before even the hint of a vaccine. He was risk upon risk upon risk. But that had always been the point. After putting my 30s in a jar, that protected us both from the precarities of freelance writing life. Unstable housing, threat of eviction, mounting debts and loans. After living with relatives who'd kept you at home, while I slipped off on occasion to pursue the one casual relationship I'd started in the nine years since you were born, a connection made only of off-site trysts and the occasional overheard mention of a strange man's name, one you'd never come to know 
I was 40 now, and you were turning 10. We'd subsisted long enough on cloistered sips of air. We were ready to catch real wind. We were ready to soar. If moving was our leap from a great height, meeting Quan felt like the moment a parachute opened. I didn't know it at the time, not in that parking lot, but I was about to embark on my first real romantic relationship as a mother. It would move quickly, pressurized within the parameters of the pandemic. At any moment, it would ask more of me than I would have under normal circumstances been prepared to give. It would ask much of you too, in the way of maturation. Gone would be the days of bursting into my room unannounced or foregoing nights spent in your own bed in order to burrow in mine. No more were the limitless loops of videos of time ceasing all shape and dimension. We would become, without much warning, ensconced in the disruptive rhymes and rhythms onset by the arrival of a man. It is one thing to live in a house full of women, deferring to the tacit rules of age, allowing the elders to set or raise or change your stakes. It is another to strike out on your own and find the experience both freeing and wanting, unable to stabilize a life left for so long as unstable. It is a different life entirely to meet a stranger, grow enough trust to let him move in, and test every day the sturdiness of that trust, even as its benefits grow more and more evident by the day. So that means you have to find out the number of how many Lucas ate. How many donuts did they eat all together? All right, here's the deal. I tell you what's for dinner. You go, you try hard on all those questions, try to answer them all, and then we'll work together after that, okay? I don't want you getting upset. I don't want you giving up easy. I want maximum effort, okay? Quan helped me homeschool you. He cooked balanced dinners. He walked the aisles of megastores doing the grocery buying and budgeting that always made me miserable. He traveled to your hypothetical worlds with you so often that at Christmas, he thought it prudent to purchase you a book of would-you-rathers so we'd all have more concise questions to answer than the ones you came up with on your own. We went for walks together and raised your reading level by restricting your iPad time. Every other Wednesday, we logged onto my family Zoom calls, where he subjected himself to the surveying questions of cousins, aunts and uncles, and my father. We intended a kind of future. At least we did for a time. For just as long, just over a year, you saw your mother being loved. You saw me extending love too, though as the beneficiary of so much of mine, that part was less of a foreign concept. At 10, you had yet to see someone's heart in their eyes when they looked at me. You'd never heard my voice lift a whole three octaves under an intoxicant called flirting. 
You've never seen me sidle up to someone as he cooked in the kitchen and wrap my arms around his waist, warming my cheek on his back. Even the little pecks hello and goodbye, the random closed-lipped kisses we deign to deliver in front of you. Those were all new to you, too. It didn't last. Not all good relationships do. Sometimes their meals meant to nourish and serve, first plump and decadent, then picked clean till there is only the gristle and bone. But there is much to be made of the bones. We are only beginning to figure out what's left of their purpose. And even if the result of their reading is only that the two of us have made a more stable home, the year we spent as three will have been worth it. When we are not careful taking a risk, regret writhes its tentacles around even our fondest memories. The best laid plans of our better angels are buried under the burden of second guesses. I am trying, as ever, to be careful, to teach you that a well-reasoned risk is worth the disappointment of its outcome. We are still wandering together, still working our way through the wise. You have seen my heart swell and be broken. Some days that's left me embarrassed, but never ashamed. For even though our home has been altered in his absence, it is no less ours to reshape and reclaim. What I set out to give you remains intact, and for whatever our journey has taught you, I hope this is what you retain. When love abounds, it betters. And when it recedes, we survive. You can just write about your past and then and then you can just keep keep making that book when you get when you have an interesting future. That's just, that's just my idea how you make how you might make the book. Say it again. Um, let's see. Um, first, um, you start writing your past and then and then stop for a bit and then when and then when you get past on more in your life, you can tell you can read your book from the future. It's kind of like your diary, except it except it's not gonna be private. And what kind of book do you think I should write? About your life. But you want me to be what in it? A mom, me in it. <laughs> Why?